take your Bible with me and turn to uh, the the Gospel of John. Uh, We're going to continue walking through John's Gospel this morning. Last week we looked at verse 29, and and this morning we're going to consider the remainder of that little section of text there, verse 29, and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll go through verse 34. Since we unpacked thoroughly uh, verse 29 last Sunday, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but but I am going to read it this morning just because it offers us some some context for for the remainder of this, this section. So John... Chapter 1, beginning in verse 29, and I'll read through verse 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be Revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of of God. Again, last week we explored that first, that first verse, and that he there, the pronoun he, in verse 29, the next day he, that's John the Baptist. So this is who is speaking here in these, uh, these verses. We broke down the language we saw there, especially the phrase, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we said, you'll remember last week, that Jesus is God's perfect provision that will bring all kinds of people back to relationship with God by taking their sins upon himself as a substitutionary sacrifice. That's a mouthful, but that is what, uh, that's what John the Baptist means when he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But if we back up even further than that, we need to acknowledge together that that John the Baptist is actually answering a question by saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not a question that is posed to him directly, but a question that is sort of in response to a question that the uh, the men who were questioning him in verse 19 ask him. They ask him the question, Who are you? But John the Baptist deflects that question away. He answers it. He answers it the way that God answers it. And he is the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. But then he answers a question that they do not ask the next day. When Jesus is walking towards him, he answers the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus according to John the Baptist? And so we immediately see a tie here with everything that we've read and studied so far in the book of John. In ancient times, uh, two uh, witnesses were needed to corroborate or to validate a claim. And we see this in the Bible over and over again. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 5.19. Paul is instructing Timothy here. Timothy is Paul's protege. He's his disciple. He's, uh, he's uh, one who is uh, uh, underneath Paul and learning from Paul. 
Paul is instructing Timothy on how the local church should function under his guidance. And Paul tells Timothy, he says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is common practice. Paul is just stating it. It's common practice in the world at large. If someone is going to accuse someone of something, they need a couple of witnesses, and in ancient times, male witnesses, to actually corroborate or to validate the claim. In the Gospel of Luke, right at the end, in chapter 24, uh, the, Luke writes about two men who encounter the risen Christ on the road to Emmaus. So Jesus has been crucified, uh, he's been buried, and he's, and he's come back, he's, he's come out of the grave, and Jesus appears to two men. It's important that there are two men here on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24.13 says, That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Luke Luke includes this event because the two men who meet Jesus on the road, they would have made a witness to the resurrection a credible one by being two. There are two of them. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15.6, that the risen Christ appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. That's like a super witness. That's, if, you, if you need two to validate a claim, here we go. There are 500 that saw Jesus in one, one sitting. There is undeniable credibility of Jesus' resurrection, according to the Apostle Paul. So, if if you need two witnesses to answer or to validate, to corroborate a claim, we've got two witnesses here at the beginning of John's Gospel. In the first 34 verses, we have two men who answer the question, who is Jesus Christ? The first is the author of the Gospel, John the Apostle. The second is John the Baptist, who we've been exploring since verse 19, and when we looked at verses 6 through 8 together. John the Baptist is answering the question, who is Jesus? And again, this is the second time it's been answered. John the Apostle's answer to the question, who is Jesus, is found in chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And John the Baptist's answer to who is Jesus is found here in these verses, verse 29 through 34. If we think back to 19 through 28, John the Baptist is answering questions about himself. Who are you? The ones who, uh, and he says that he is the one who will prepare the way for Jesus, who is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And now, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is the answer to the question, who is Jesus? So last week, again, we saw that Jesus is God's perfect provision given to God's people uh, that will bring all kinds of people back into relationship with God by taking the sins of the world upon himself as a substitutionary sacrifice. And now, after verse 29, in verses 30 through 34, John the Baptist builds out his answer to this question a little bit further. If the, if the answer, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, seems veiled, what we see in verses 30 through 34 is explicit. So who is Jesus, according to John the Baptist? Who is Jesus according to John the Baptist. And there are three things in verses 30 through 34 that we can glean. The first, I'm going to use three words here, and then I'm going to explain these because at at first blush, they might not seem 
to be terrible, terribly understandable. But first is that Jesus is unparalleled. Second, Jesus is sincere. And third, Jesus is unique. Jesus is unparalleled, Jesus is sincere, and Jesus is unique. So first, Jesus is unparalleled. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, We shall let the sun shine even though this should conceal the stars. When you can't see the stars outside at night, if you go outside at night and you cannot see the stars, it's because there, there are clouds. But during the day, we can't see the stars because the sun is shining. And the sun is shining in an unparalleled way. We know that the sun is a star, right? It's not really, in some ways, different from the stars that we see in the night sky on a clear night. But the sun is the perfect temperature and the perfect distance to sustain life on earth. In that way, it is an unparalleled star. No other star in all of the universe can accomplish what our sun can accomplish for us here on earth. And so, it would be silly, it would be foolish of us to focus on the stars at the expense of our sun. Because the other stars cannot uh, cause photosynthesis to happen. They cannot heat our, our, our planet to a livable temperature, being a long ways away. They cannot provide us the vitamin D that we need. And this is what it means, then, that Jesus is unparalleled. If Jesus is like the sun, and no one who comes before him or after him will ever rival him. Just like none of the stars in the sky that you see on a clear night can rival our sun and its importance for us. And this is John the Baptist's point here. Look at uh, verse 30. This is he of whom I said, After me comes one, a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. After me, he says, comes a man who ranks before me, referring to Jesus. Now, in, Jesus would say in, in Luke's gospel, in chapter 7, verse 28, he says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist. He's referring to John the Baptist there. But, but in, what, what's happening here is in the history of the world, no one born on earth is as great as John the Baptist, Jesus says. But John the Baptist here, here knows that there is something that sets Jesus apart. It's important that Jesus says, among those born of women, none is greater than John. John the Baptist knows there's something, Je there's something different that sets Jesus apart. He is different. He is unparalleled. And the answer is why. And it's found in that statement. After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. John the Baptist alludes to Jesus' divine nature. He says, because he was before me. Now, when John the Baptist says, after me, he might be referring to his ministry, he might be referring to his earthly birth, but when he says, comes before me, because he was before me, he is referring to Jesus' divine nature. John the Baptist tells us about Jesus' eternality. Jesus has no beginning. He doesn't have a distinct beginning like John the Baptist did. 
or like any of us do, do, did. Jesus has always existed. Now in the sense that Jesus took on flesh, Jesus came after John. Chronologically speaking, biologically speaking, but there is a bigger picture and John the Baptist shows it to us right out of the gate, just like John the Apostle shows us right out of the gate. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. This is the account of a man who has no beginning, who is eternal. There's a bigger picture. No one before Jesus could make this claim. And there is no one after him who can make this claim either. And We can't get out of John's first chapter before we find some direct application. And in a lot of ways, when considering these verses, I think it, it's very convicting. We, we are all guilty. We are all guilty of focusing on the stars at the expense of the sun. What I, don't, what I don't want you to hear me say is that the stars aren't beautiful. The stars aren't amazing. That they, they are. But again, the sun is an unparalleled star in the way that it provides heat for us and light and all that we need to continue living on this earth. We spend time, though, which is what I mean by we're guilty of focusing on the stars and the, at the expense of the sun. We, we spend time talking about, admiring, even fearing men and women. We spend time talking about, admiring, or even fearing circumstances and events in our world. The men and women and the events and the circumstances, they are temporary. The men and women that we sometimes fear or admire or talk about without end, they inhabit fleshy material that the Bible says is passing away. It is like grass. And we don't even need to, you don't need a, an explanation for this. You know that your body is getting older, that you are decaying, and you know that that is true for everyone on the planet. I trimmed my beard yesterday, a lot of gray hairs in the sink. It's happening. The Bible says that the, our flesh, and, and everything around us that we see with our eyes right now is withering, it's fading. We spend time focusing on men and women or events or circumstances at the expense of the unparalleled one, Jesus Christ. This is what John the Baptist is telling us not to do. We ask the question, how much time did we spend on entertainment this week as compared to spending time in God's Word? Or how much time did we spend feeling anxious about how a boss or a coworker will respond to our work as compared to bringing our anxieties to the one who, whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light, who leads you by still waters and has the ability to restore your soul. How much time did we spend attempting to better understand, say, riots at the Capitol, things in the, the news? 
as compared to spending time knowing the one who sits enthroned above all powers and authorities here on earth. You and I are guilty this week of focusing on the stars at the expense of the sun. We need, to, we need to follow John the Baptist's example here. And in a few minutes, we'll find out how that is possible. Because if you feel convicted, by, and you, you should, because we've made poor use of our time. I'm sure each and every one of us can point to a moment throughout our week where we've made poor use of our time. When we feel convicted by that, Jesus brings hope. And we'll get to that in the third the third point but before that let's consider the fact that Jesus is sincere Jesus is sincere it it is not a disputed fact that manipulating other people is a bad thing i don't need to argue the immorality of manipulation manipulation feels like a pretty substantial reality in the world right now Maybe you've manipulated, maybe you've been manipulated by a family, maybe you've been a manipulator, manipulated a family member or a coworker, or you've been manipulated by one. Maybe you feel like you've been manipulated by the government or societal forces. If that is the case, then you need this truth here. You need the truth that Jesus is sincere. Jesus is sincere. Here's what I mean by that. Just a common definition for this. I took a few definitions that I found. But it's the quality of being free from pretense, deceit, or hypocrisy. Now, you might sign your email sincerely, but when was the last time you actually thought about what that meant? We might describe someone we admire as sincere. But Jesus is not just sincere in an email signature. He's not just sincere in in one or two instances. Jesus is absolutely, without question, always for eternity sincere. He is free from pretense. He is free of deceit and free of hypocrisy. In fact, in John 14, Jesus will say of himself that he is the truth. That he is the truth. Not just that he knows the truth, but he himself is is the embodiment of truth. And we saw in in the prologue, in in verse uh, 14, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And, And here in our text, John the Baptist's testimony is that he did not know Jesus. That's kind of a strange thing to say for John the Baptist. He's obviously had some type of interaction with him because he he witnessed uh, Jesus' Jesus' baptism. And he said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. But then he says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me into the baptized with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So, So he has some type of encounter with him, but he says, I did not know him. And the reason John the Baptist says that is because He wants the people who are hearing this and subsequently who are reading this 2,000 years later to understand that there was no backroom agreement between Jesus and himself. There was no backroom agreement. 
There was no manipulation. John the Baptist came to introduce Jesus, to reveal him, but God told John the Baptist who Jesus is. John the Baptist isn't there to set up Jesus for success by manipulating a crowd. That's not what he was there to do. John the Baptist didn't make these claims about Jesus because he was paid off. John the Baptist spoke what was true about the truth. The reason people manipulate others in our world is to gain power over them. But as we will find out through the course of John's gospel, and really in all of the gospel accounts, if you, if you take time to read through them, Jesus did not come to manipulate or gain power for himself. This is actually in direct opposition to the testimony Jesus gives about himself. In humility, he came to earth. His coming toward John as he's walking towards him in the flesh is evidence of this. Jesus is God's word. We saw that at the beginning of the time in John's gospel. Jesus is eternal. He has perfect relationship with God the Father. And that has existed for eternity past. Jesus is God himself. And yet, this cannot be lost on us as we think about this first chapter. Jesus dwelled among his creatures in the flesh. Jesus dwelled among men and women and boys and girls who were made of dust. He is the one, the agency, the one through whom all things were made. And he took on the appearance and the likeness, the flesh of men and women and boys and girls who were made of dust. That is not a power trip. It's like Jeff Bezos delivering your Amazon order. This is not a power trip. Jesus would walk on earth and experience pain, suffering, sorrow, sadness, and even death. He would not have experienced those things if he had not left heaven. Jesus himself, of himself, in Matthew 20, 28 says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's not a power trip. Jesus is sincere. He does not deceive. He does not manipulate. John the Baptist did not know him. There was no behind-the-scenes agreement to coerce a particular outcome by Jesus. Jesus came not to exalt himself, but as Paul writes in Philippians 2.8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The final thing, though, that we can see here about Jesus, who, the, the, the answer to the question that John the Baptist gives about who is Jesus, is that Jesus is unique. Now, that seems maybe like a silly statement, but the reality is that it is absolutely true. And this isn't just unique like, well, everybody's different. This is unique like there is no one else like him. It's similar to being unparalleled, but he is unparalleled because he's eternal. And he is sincere because he is the truth. 
But look at verses 32 through 34. There are several very unique statements made about Jesus that are not made and will not ever be made about anyone else. Who is Jesus? We find out that Jesus is the Son of God. If we go back to verse 29, He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Spirit descended upon Jesus and remained on Him. This had not taken place prior to. He is unique in who He is. But He is also unique in what He does. Um, Look at verse 33, right at the end. This is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is completely unique. This is completely different. John's baptism with water. He said, I, I baptize with water. Jesus' baptism is not with water. Jesus never in his earthly ministry baptized anyone in water. Jesus would not baptize with water, but he would baptize in a way that no one else could. Uh, J.C. Ryle, a 19th century pastor, preacher, said that the significance of this baptism that Jesus brings, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is that he has the prerogative of giving spiritual life. He is the giver of the Holy Spirit to all who believe in him. Jesus will say in John 6 that the Spirit, it is the Spirit that gives life. Jesus gives the Spirit. The Spirit gives life. Therefore, Jesus holds the keys to new life for those who believe in his name. No one else can give spiritual life except for Jesus Christ. No one else can give spiritual life except for Jesus Christ. And this is going to be one of the primary themes that we see come up over and over and over again in the Gospel of John. No one else can give spiritual life other than Jesus Christ. You and I cannot conjure spiritual life through our good works, through our good deeds, through whatever you want to trust in. The only one who gives spiritual life is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is unique because he is declared to be the Son of God, sent by God to fulfill the promises of God. And he does so by giving spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. Jesus' baptism is that of the Holy Spirit and gives life. There is sometimes confusion among Christians about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what is meant by that language. But biblically speaking, especially here in our verse, verses here this morning, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is part of the discussion of what Christians call regeneration. Regeneration. The Holy Spirit is the giver of life and Jesus is the giver of the Spirit. This is what we confess together as Christians. There were whole councils in the first several centuries about this fact. This is what it means to be born again. Regeneration is what it means to be born again. Just a fancy way of saying it. This is what it means to be a new creation, like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Jesus came to baptize in the Holy Spirit. He came to give us new spiritual life. 
When we were dead in our sins, Jesus came to give life. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, chapter 5, or 2, chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. And Jesus will say in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the way that Jesus imparts new life in us, is to baptize us with the Holy Spirit, the giver of life. Water baptism symbolizes the reality that we have been raised by the Holy Spirit from our spiritual death to walk in newness of life. We do not believe that water baptism saves a person. And this is one of the reasons why our baptism is one of water. Like John the Baptist's baptism was of water. That symbolizes a baptism of the Holy Spirit that only Jesus can administer. Only Jesus can give spiritual life. And so we should reject the wholesale, or wholesale reject the view that baptism saves. Only Jesus can provide the spiritual life that you and I need. Being baptized in water signifies that you have been given new life and that you have received the Holy Spirit. One other important note here from these verses is that we should also reject the doctrine that suggests that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate event from regeneration, from new birth. It is not a separate event. It is the same, or it happens simultaneously. The Holy Spirit gives life, and Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. It is not possible, according to Scripture, to have spiritual life, but to have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This doctrinal error turns the Holy Spirit into some magical second wave of spiritual development, which that's not at all what the Holy Spirit is. When Jesus gives life, he gives everything you need. When Jesus gives life, he gives everything you need. At the moment you turn from your sins, at the moment you trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, you lacked nothing. Even now, if you are in Christ, where you sit this morning, you lack nothing. Jesus is unique. He is the exclusive giver of spiritual life and the only way to be saved. So we, we see here John the Baptist answered the question, who is Jesus? Jesus is unparalleled. Jesus is sincere. Jesus is unique. And so I, I said earlier in light of that Spurgeon quote that we often focus on the stars at the expense of the sun. We often focus on temporary things or people or events at the expense of Jesus Christ. And I said that we should follow John the Baptist's example. John the Baptist did not allow for the stars to outshine the sun. He did not pretend like his baptism that was with water could even begin to compare with the baptism that Jesus would offer the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist baptized with water so that Jesus would be revealed. That's what he says. Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit in order that men and women and boys and girls would have life eternal. Maybe you're here this morning and you, would, you wonder why. Why would I care to talk about, think about, read about Jesus all of the time? You say like, sure, I'm a Christian, but I'm, 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 not, I'm not crazy 
about stuff. I've got other stuff going on. If that's your thinking, you're letting the stars outshine the sun. Maybe you're wondering why you feel so anxious about a pandemic or concerned about the state of our country. It's likely because you've let the stars outshine the sun. Here's the good news, though. This is the good news that we find in this text. When Jesus gives life, when Jesus gives life, he gives his Holy Spirit. He gives everything you need to follow him with all of your life. You lack nothing. Trust him. And how can you trust him if you don't know him? If if your Bible collects dust on your shelf, how are you ever going to trust him? And how can you trust him if you never talk to him? Pray. Relationships don't go very far without any kind of communication or one-way communication. But you have what you need in Christ, mainly his Holy Spirit. That same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you if you are in Christ. That Holy Spirit gives you the understanding of God's Word, giving you the ability to know Him. That Holy Spirit intercedes for you in your weakness. And as the Holy Spirit works in you, you will see more clearly who Jesus is and what He has done. Our two-year-old twins love the moon. The moon is their favorite thing. Their favorite book is Good Night Moon. They love the moon. They think the moon is amazing. Every time we're driving at night, they look out the window and they shout, Moon, moon. They, they love the moon. I don't know what that's about. And every morning when it's still dark out, there's a skylight in our kitchen. And every morning when it's still dark out, they look at the skylight and see the reflection of the kitchen lights in the skylight. And they say, Moon, moon. And the three older kids say, No, that's not the moon. That's not the moon. Soon they'll know. It won't take long for them to realize that the light reflecting off the glass isn't the moon. The moon is much more impressive. The moon is orbiting the earth. It has phases. It's 239,000 miles away. It provides light to the earth at night. You can land a spacecraft on it. I think. The, the, The twins don't know the difference. They will. Why? Because we'll teach them. And just like two-year-olds need to be taught by their parents that the moon is greater than the reflection of kitchen lights in a window, so do we need to be given the ability to see by the Holy Spirit through God's Word that Jesus Christ is greater than all other things contained in this world. John the Baptist knew who Jesus was in this text. He knew what Jesus came to do. So can you. Jesus gives the Holy Spirit the helper, the teacher. He gives the light to see and to know the unparalleled, sincere, eternal, unchanging, perfect Christ. May we let the sun shine even though it will conceal the stars. Let's pray.